Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And before I bring my guest on, who I really want you to introduce to you and get a chance to talk to, I want to talk to you about something that just popped up in my little news uh, uh, brackets uh, on my phone here in the, in the last couple of days. One is the fact that marijuana has a lower potential for abuse than other drugs that are subjected to the same restrictions with scientific support for its use as a medical treatment. Researchers from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration have said that in documents supporting its reclassification as a Schedule Three substance, marijuana is currently classified as Schedule One, but reserved for the most dangerous controlled substances on the planet, including heroin, LSD. In 2022, President Joe Biden asked Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra and the Attorney General to begin an administrative process of reviewing how marijuana is scheduled under federal law. And HSS Assistant Secretary for Health, Admiral Rachel Levine, wrote a letter to the DEA in August in which she supported the reclassification of to Schedule 3, a list that includes drugs such as that have a, a low to moderate potential for physical and psychological dependence, such as ketamine, testosterone, Tylenol, codeine. And the FDA uh, documents, which are posted online, reflect the HSS evaluation of scientific and medical evidence and his scheduling recommendation. So folks, right now, not both the, the Department of Health and Human Services and the FDA have both reached out to the DEA to say, let's reschedule. And this is gonna have the potential of changing the entire conversation about um, cannabis nationwide, not only medical, but also recreational or adult use cannabis. Why? Because it's going to change. Once we change it from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3, and hopefully they just figure out that they should just deschedule this completely. But once that's done, that's going to change all of the issues surrounding banking, which have been some of the issues that have really, really thwarted um, the advancement of this entire vertical as a mainstream um, corporate obligation for companies to actually provide this medication and product to the public. So um, this is a big one, guys. And I mean, I'm telling you, if you haven't looked it up, you can look it up yourself. There's information on the HSS website. And there's also information from the, D the FDA that discusses this in length. Um, they can no longer ignore the fact that they have been lying for so long and they know they have been lying so long because the FDA actually applied for its own patent for cannabis for the U.S. government almost 22 years ago. A lot of guys don't know about that. There's a patent that the U.S. the U.S. government gave itself back in 2002 that identified in its abstract all the valuable attributes of cannabis, especially cannabidiol. So. Um, this is just a tiny step forward. What do you say? A tiny step forward for cannabis, but a big step forward for mankind with no question. This is a big step forward for cannabis. And um, hopefully we can get out of this election cycle so somebody can do something appropriate. And that would be reschedule or completely deschedule this as a drug. Now, um, part of the reason why I even bring this up is because Clearly, if the FDI recognize, FDA recognizes the fact that this is a medication that has potential for help for patients who are ill, patients who suffer from a myriad of different maladies, um, this is something that, you know, takes the shame out of, takes the, you know, I don't know what you call it, the, um, it takes the spotlight off of those who are using this because they recognize how efficacious this is for different maladies, one of which is like the one I have. And this is the reason why I really started to go back to cannabis back almost 22 years ago was because of my diagnosis with uh, diagnosis of MS. And there are so many people in this country who have other neurological diseases and other autoimmune diseases that cannabis seems to, it's not a cure, but what it is, is it's a way to help people deal with their illness and some of their symptoms way better than using some of the other pharmaceuticals that are out there. And my guest today 
is a guest who is going to help us understand why cannabis actually has done some good for his life. I guess they earned a double major in history and Spanish at the University of Arizona and holds two master's degrees from Thunderbird and Harvard University. He was diagnosed with MS back in 2003 and is one of Arizona's 200,000 card-holding medical cannabis patients. He ran for Congress in his home state back in 2004 and has served as the executive director of the Arizona Cannabis Association and as the director of government relations for MITA, which is the Arizona Medical Industry Trade Association. Mr. Tim Sultan, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montella Day, sir. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. Great to be with you, too. But before we jump into cannabis completely, I want you to tell me a little bit about your background. Where are you from? Where you grew up? You know, what, what did you what were you involved in before you got involved in cannabis? Tell me a little bit about who you are. Oh, great. Thanks. So uh, I'm from Tucson, Arizona, where I still live right now with my two kids. And I was born here and uh, <laughs> I, um, I wasn't involved in cannabis until until I was diagnosed with MS. In fact, I really wasn't drawn to it really much my whole life. Um, I started using it um, about uh, about eight years ago. Uh, when we uh, about 10 years ago in Arizona, it became legal medically. And um, and I've been involved in business and government and, um, you know, working for senators and congressmen and people like that. Um, and, uh, and, and now I've fully immersed myself over the last six years in cannabis. And it's because I, I went to the MEDA meeting every month. We have a marijuana industry trade association meeting. And I met uh, Vicente Fox from Mexico. And he uh, and I speak Spanish. And so he invited me down to Mexico to help him legalize Mexico. And we were I was part of, uh, of Canon Mexico back in 2018 and 19 and learned a lot about how to structure the law. And so that's when the Arizona Dispensary Association asked me to, to be their executive director because the group was putting together a ballot proposition to legalize adult use in Arizona. And so that was 2019. We we successfully passed adult use in November of 2020. And since then, I've been working in the cannabis industry, helping brands come into Arizona to get a license to operate legally, getting into dispensaries so that they can sell to consumers. And it's been a really rewarding career. Um, I, I have sort of a love-hate relationship with, with cannabis because on the one hand, because I have MS, and I was diagnosed about 20 years ago, back in 2003, you mentioned. And um, and for, you know, 10 years, I didn't have any symptoms. Uh, I was feeling pretty good. And then uh, all of a sudden, boom, it hit me hard. And I don't know if this happens with other people with MS or other diseases, but when your body is stressed out for, you know, for other reasons, um, your disease really manifests itself. It's almost like it triggers your disease. And so I was triggered about 10 years ago and just been slowly downhill ever since. I was just crippled, really. I couldn't even move. I was just frozen. You might know how, what that feels like when you're, you know, if you're thinking about something or ruminating about something that bothers you, um, your whole body just freezes up and I was unable to move. So um, a divorce later, many couple of years of therapy later, I have a different perspective on, on life. And and uh, and cannabis was really the thing that got me through that, that, that saved my life. I don't think I could have made it through that difficult time without well, cannabis. Slow down just for a second, because you did say that you were never drawn to cannabis before your diagnosis. So, I mean, did somebody suggest cannabis to you because of your diagnosis? Did you seek mm -hmm. it out because you studied about it? Let's, let's back up and figure out why did you even say, yeah, cannabis? It was just accidental. Um, I, 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 I tried it, you know, um, accidentally really uh, it was recreationally okay and and then uh, and and it was when i was going through that difficult time when i was married and i felt really bad about myself and, and it was affecting my body and uh and i noticed that wow when i'm smoking that stuff i have virtually no symptoms i can exercise i can walk i can you know do all kinds of things that i couldn't do before and so i started using it and that's why it's a love-hate relationship because um like my dad says, you need to have everything in moderation. And uh, and when something makes you feel, you know, normal again, I just wanted it all the time. So I ended up smoking from morning to night, and uh, and I was able to move around pretty well. Great, actually. And you also started to realize that even by consuming it that much, it really wasn't having that detrimental effect on other aspects of your life. Correct. 
Yeah, actually, I found that I I, uh, I was operating better, really, than I was when I was not using it. Because when I was not using it, I was in a bad mood. I was slow. You know, I just wasn't feeling like doing anything. It took away the motivation. So the cannabis gave me motivation, put me in a good mood. Um, I was able to get things done. But, you know, also you do have to be careful that, you know, you don't forget things and, and you know, put systems in place. And um, and so I started using, it, I think, too much. And so I, uh, as my body started healing itself, thanks to cannabis, I was able to go to yoga. Um, I was able to start swimming and doing other things that healed my body permanently because cannabis is my temporary crutch that gets me through those situations when I'm just frozen and I can't move. But um, but over time, you know, I don't want to do that forever. So I, I made an made it made a very conscious effort to focus on yoga and strength and and, and getting those tight, tight areas um, smoothed out. And uh, and I, I found uh, over this time some some tricks and, and tips, you know, like, um, uh, well, for example, there's a gua sha tool. It's a it's a little little thing that you can scrape your your skin with, and it's when you have a really tight cartilage or muscle thing, you can scrape yourself and it and it relaxes it. It's really truly amazing. So that's one of the things um, that I use along with cannabis. Um, and then, like I said, yoga is really one of the best things. But the number one thing that that helped me heal from from cannabis was uh, was was just being mentally clear. And um, and uh, so cannabis, you know, affected my body, but I still needed to get my mind clear. And I was really interested in your book that you wrote, I think, in 2009 about um, living. Was it living well? Yeah, living well with Montel. Yep. Um, because living well emotionally is, is, is such an important thing. You have to get your emotions um, straight and, right. and, and that helps your whole body heal. Otherwise, you know, if you're thinking about a past harm that had happened to you or something that makes you sad, uh, then your body is never going to recuperate. You have to you have to be able to cleanse yourself of, of those impure thoughts too. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I think what people don't understand is that it's just not because of the psychotropic uh, activity and that takes place when you consume cannabis. There are so many other minor cannabinoids that have such profound impact on neurology and on uh, our bodies uh, in a way that actually are probably what has given you some of the most benefits. And uh, even if you didn't know it yourself, I mean, I know that, um, I don't know if you experiment or utilize a lot of CBDA, CBDA, not just CBD, but CBDA. If you utilize a lot of CBDA, CBC, you might find that those are not going to give you or elicit the psychotropic effect that THC does, but it was, does give you that balancing feeling in your own body. Oh, absolutely. And, it, and that's why it's such an education when you start using cannabis, because it's such a powerful substance. Um, for the first couple of years, I didn't have the education and I was just, you know, using whatever strain, whatever thing I didn't know. Um, but now I'm much more aware of the CBGA, you know, all the different CBDA and all the different CBGs and all the other different cannabinoids. And, um, and, and, you know, actually, by the way, about six months ago, I stopped smoking entirely and I use only tinctures now and I use it right before I go to yoga and it, it makes my body completely relaxed and, and strong. And it's, you know, like I don't have MS at all. It's just truly amazing. And it has any of those other cannabinoids in there that give, give you the entourage effect. Absolutely. And, you know, you can also, you know, not just you, if you got to, if you're in the tinctures right now, but you can find tinctures and I'm not sure what they have on the shelves in Arizona, but I'm pretty positive. You should be able to find some uh, tinctures that are higher, you know, uh, percentages of the minor cannabinoids than the THC. So you'll get some really, really, really unbelievable benefits if you just started shifting over and taking mm -hmm. a look. And again, I think one of you, you nailed it. One of the things that's most important when it comes to cannabis, cannabis isn't something that for people who are trying to get relief for whatever the issue is that they're dealing with, you'll find that before you right now that have more information in it than the law allows. I mean, we know that there's well over 35,000 peer-reviewed published documents out around the world on cannabis. You know, there's 3,500 of them being published every single year. That's giving you more and more breakthrough information about things that you can look at, things that you can educate yourself about. And just, you know, one of the things about cannabis is it is not one size fits all, but it is the cannabis does fit all if you figure out what your needs are. And the only way you're going to do that 
is by reading, studying, and understanding, you know, some of the uh, information that's out there that'll help you make a good choice for yourself or even for your family. Yep. And people like you and I, we're very fortunate to live in a time like this when we can we can experiment with with cannabis in, in such a way and we can do it legally and safely with a lot of resources. Whereas, you know, even 20 years ago, that wasn't possible. People were going to jail for this kind of stuff. Absolutely. I don't know if you, if you caught the, the opening, my little opening monologue uh, for this episode. Most recently, it's, 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 it's funny. There are people who are probably listening in right now going, wow, there's no proof. Well, there's enough proof to make the FDA step up to the plate and say, you know what, we've been wrong. You know, when they say something like, you know, we definitely believe that this should be rescheduled. They are basically correcting themselves for the last 40 years, even though 20 years ago they had already corrected themselves and had agreed to how much cannabis does work. But now they're going on record to explain the fact that, even though, you know, there's a lot of research out there, they don't control all that research, but they recognize that it's no longer just anecdotal. Cannabis does work. We now have proof from all over the world for various reasons why cannabis and cannabinoids, you know, have a medicinal effect for some people. And, you know, not only are we living at the best of times when it comes to information, but we're living at the best of times because I think within the next, uh, you know, I think there should be some movement probably after this next election cycle to finally correct some of the draconian laws that have passed in the past and, and, start moving us down a pathway where those who actually need to utilize this medicinally will have the opportunity in every state in this country to do so. Well, let's hope because um, let's hope it happens federally because I know at the state level um, here in Arizona, anyway, it has really transformed the, the opinion and the stigma that people have of cannabis. Uh, we're much more free to, to use it in a controlled environment. And I just am so grateful because when I first started, um, it wasn't quite like that. You know, it was, um, it was, uh, you know, a little dangerous uh, for someone, especially, you know, who's interested in government and politics and right. stuff to be involved in this kind of thing. Right. Absolutely. But you've noticed, and I'm sure that you've noticed even with some of the elected officials, they've noticed that, you know, the sky didn't fall. The sky fall. sky didn't fall. Oh, yeah. If it didn't fall, matter of fact, they are, they are really, 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 really happy about the windfall that they've gotten from the taxes on this. And so mm -hmm. that, that, as I'm hoping that more states, now that we have, it's 38 states in the District of Columbia that have all passed some form of cannabis legislation. I'm hoping that these states finally come together and go to the federal government and say, hey, wait a minute, you got to knock this bullshit off. Excuse my mouth, but you have to knock this off. You know, you are making it so difficult for us to be able to achieve the goals that you have I said yourself. That things like this should be handled at the state level. Well, we're handling it at the state level. Back off. And you can back off by giving those businesses an opportunity to do things that they should be doing from safe banking to being able to, to, you know, get loans and to get investments for their businesses. You know, hopefully the states will start stepping up to the plate and saying enough is enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, and it's party independent too. It's one of the few things that, um, you know, is not, not a Democrat or a Republican issue. Come on now, if you if you go back to January 6th, there was a lot of pot being smoked when people were tearing yeah. down the doors of the of the Capitol. I mean, that was a fact. There were people smelling it all over the place. And so, you know, it is an issue that is not Republican, not Democrat. It is an issue of, you know, humanity. It's an mm -hmm. issue where people understand that this is not what you've been telling. This is not what you've been trying to say it is for 40 years. This is something entirely different. So now maybe, maybe we'll get to the point where we'll start to move forward instead of continuing to move backwards. Yep. And you know, something else I'd mentioned is you and I both have a, a debilitating disease, multiple sclerosis, but other people use it as medicine when they have a headache or when you have a stomachache or, and that's also being used as medicine. Cause I use it also, if I have a, a bad stomachache, I'm going to use cannabis because that's the medicine that I know and it fixes it. Uh, yeah. But, but I mean, I think one of the things that, that's even crazier about that is that um, we know for a fact that, I, at least from my perspective, I think anybody who's drawn to cannabis over alcohol is drawn there for some sort of underlying medical reason to begin with. Mm -hmm. you know, whether or not they're doing it because it helps them sleep better, helps them relax when they come home from work, helps them you know, uh, not have the bad moods, not have the ups and downs that they have. 
All those things are medical, not necessarily just recreational or, you know, what we call as then try to say as adult use. I think that anybody who comes to chooses cannabis, especially cannabis over alcohol or cannabis, you know, over some pharmaceutical is doing so because there's an underlying medical reason. And so we should allow them that opportunity to do that. You know what? Actually, come to think of it, Montel, I would just mention that when I was using cannabis, you know, especially heavily and it, and it fixed my it helped take away the symptoms of MS, I wasn't necessarily treating the multiple sclerosis. I think I was treating my stress level because um, the reason MS manifested itself so heavily at that point in my life is because I was under a lot of pressure in my personal relationship. And so once that was, you know, alleviated and um, and I could relax and my stress level went down then my symptoms just disappeared. You know, I wasn't I wasn't hurting myself with my mind. Sure. But I will tell you that probably inside, again, those minor cannabinoids were doing things like reducing inflammation at the cellular level. Yep. There are things that are happening at the cellular level when you utilize cannabis that's different than just, you know, making you feel better. There's things that are actually happening at the mitochondrial level of your cells. We know that, you know, Cannabis affects that thing that's in your system. It's called your endocannabinoid system. You know, you are, as a mammal, walking around with cells that are specifically there to be antagonized or agonized by cannabis. You have CB1, CB2 connectors, CB1s in your brain, CB2s in your peripheral uh, organs of your body. So we have connectors that are specifically there for one reason and one reason only, and that is to help produce what we call endocannabinoids, which are those cannabinoids that you make yourself. They're not plant-derived. These are cannabinoids that are inside your body. One's called anandamide. The other's called 2-AG. Those are chemicals that your body produces. Had you never used cannabis in your entire life, those chemicals are available. We do now know that when you use cannabis, it actually kicks them up into a little bit of higher percentage. And because we've been hoodwinked by governments to stop using cannabis for about, you know, a hundred years, um, you know, across the board, uh, mankind's be before a hundred years ago, most people don't even understand that human beings had a pretty much a daily, uh, diet of cannabis. They didn't yep. know, people don't know that we used to eat during the 1800s. We ate 1800s to early 1900s. We ate a hemp based porridge. Uh, for food. All mankind knew that hemp was probably one of the highest protein-laden seeds on the planet. And so way back in the day, we were actually consuming hemp and nobody was really that concerned about it. All of our forefathers grew hemp. And I mean, yeah. go back to the 16, late 1600s, early 1700s, you could pay your taxes with hemp. So, you know, this is something that I think we just decided at a time when it was convenient to use that as a re-enslavement tool. That's the reason why we literally outlawed this to the world and try to say, no, 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 you can't do this. And now all of a sudden we're starting to realize that there is a serious deficiency in things like anandamide, which is, you know, most people don't know, is a endocannabinoid that your body produces um, that is one of the only substances in your body that actually travels through the nervous system Retroactively, it goes in the opposite direction. When you injure yourself, you know, that injury produces this anandamide that sends a signal up to your brain to tell you to stop sending more white blood cells or you start killing off good, you know, uh, cells. So the truth of the matter is it is part of who we are and every mammal on the planet is. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So let's you talk a little bit. Mm -hmm. You mentioned in one of your other podcasts that even uh, our founding fathers um, used to use it, and, and Benjamin Franklin's pipe had residue of of, of cannabis in there. And, Absolutely, uh, and my, my ancestors in Egypt used to use it thousands of years ago. Absolutely, it was all over the African continent thousands of years ago. It was all over the the you know uh, Eastern Asian continent. Um, this is something that has been used by man since early man. I, I think there's some there's some. Uh, anecdotal stories about them finding, you know, pipes in caves uh, 1,200 years ago, 1,200, no, that's a 1,200, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years ago. So this has been around. You look at, at the fact that cannabis was written about in the I Ching and several of the Chinese documents dating back between 3,500 and 5,000 years ago. So yeah. it's something that has been a part of man 
We just jumped in when we knew there was an opportunity to actually attack people of color. You know, mm -hmm. most people won't want to admit this and won't want to look at it that way. They look at it through the wrong eye. But that's exactly why cannabis was ever outlawed or hemp was outlawed worldwide. And we yep. know that there's a plant, this is a plant that's got over 2,500 uses, not just the consumer uses that humans do, but their uses. Well, there was a company recently that has already rediscovered what was discovered about five years ago. There are multiple companies that are on stock exchanges right now around the world that have been turning some of the biomass from hemp and cannabis into a graphene type substance mm -hmm. and notable that that substance now has a greater electric storage capability than graphite. Yeah. So we can end up making batteries that would be lighter and more efficient than lithium using hemp. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's ignorant is the fact that, you know, you threw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. All those hemp seeds. I had hemp seeds for breakfast this morning. You know, it's, it's, there you go. So it's one of the, again, one of the highest protein laden seeds on the planet. Tell yeah. me a little bit about let's Let's back up a little bit and talk a little bit about your whole career in cannabis, though. Once you started using it and you said that you and I, I had a, I was very fortunate to have met uh, Vincente Fox also uh, when I was on a presentation in Jamaica years ago. Oh. I, almost, I almost came to uh, uh, Mexico uh, back then to uh, participate, I think, probably in one of your earlier conferences. Hey, did you know, uh, were you with uh, Douglas Gordon in Jamaica? He's uh, He was also on the board with us at Canada Mexico, and, and he, he runs Canada, Canada, Canex Jamaica. He's in, he's oh, in yeah. yeah, I met him. I met him. As a matter of fact, that was, I think that was the group that brought me in to speak. I spoke yeah. there uh, yeah. before uh, Vicente spoke. So, yeah, he's good friends with 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 Licenciado Fox. Got it. So when when you were first when you first gravitated over to it, understanding that it was having some sort of medical impact on you, mm -hmm. what made you think? Well, you know, I believe in this enough that I'm going to try to get and make this you career. Know, my main thing was I wanted to get the stigma. Uh, I, I was having a lot of trouble personally using this substance and feeling like I was doing something wrong. I just felt pressure from family and other people that this, you're, you shouldn't be, it's a bad thing. Bad people use that. And, and I was buying into that. And so um, when there was an opportunity with the Arizona Dispensaries Association to legalize adult use, I jumped on it. And I said, well, this is the number one thing I care about, getting rid of the stigma. So people like me with a medical condition feel comfortable even trying it and that we're not bad people. And, uh, and it, and the polling was insane in Arizona. You know, we're a very conservative state. Um, over sixty percent of the people said that they would vote for it, and so we went along, and 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 of course it passed, and um, and and it and it served its function. I really have noticed the stigma going away, and so um, those who who really need it um, are not are not dissuaded from trying it. Um, uh, the reason I said I had a love hate relationship is just because you know I, when when your body doesn't need it anymore. Um, I found that, um, although I mean, there really there wasn't much hate at all. It was mostly a love relationship because it got. I never used alcohol because there's no reason to. You know, if you if you feel like you you uh, you know are stressed out or you want to have a little more have whatever alcohol gives you, um, have a little more cannabis, and uh, and then it'll go out of your system, and you won't have a hangover the next day, and you can have a little more control over it. So I used it to, to, to stay away from alcohol. So I really became much more healthy. Um, but, uh, but I guess the only caution I, I would say is, 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 is not to do it from morning to night if you don't need it. That's all. Right. right. And now, though, but then you not only did you get involved in Arizona, but tell me how this whole you met, you know, uh, uh, the former president of Fox and but how did you get involved in helping set up campus conferences in Mexico back in 2018? Yeah. So, so, um, <clears throat> well, one thing led to another, uh, that was the, the start being with Vicente Fox and then, uh, coming back down to Arizona, we passed that law and, uh, and I work on a regular basis with our regulators, the Arizona state, you know, department of health services. So whenever there's an issue, um, I would be one of the representatives who represents the industry and, and, and would explain, well, this is what we would recommend. And I have to say our regulator, this, the department of health services, wonderful. They really listen 
to all their stakeholders and, and, and really listen to the, the cannabis people because they figure we're the experts in this domain and they respect us and, 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 and take our advice. And so we've been able to help craft many of the, the regulations that our, our regulators are, are regulating us with. And, and it's, in a, it's a very uh, um, symbiotic relationship where we help each other. Um, and, and Arizona, the, the, forgive me, Arizona, not only do you have medical, you have uh, adult use. Has the program changed and, and is it running smoothly? Would you like to see changes? What's going on? It's, it's a great program. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it's slightly, uh, the only part that, that has been difficult for some people here is that it really um, um, advantages those who are already in the business. So if you already have a dispensary and it's a limited license structure here, if you only have about 130, 160 dispensaries now, um, then um, it's hard to break in. So, so that's the only challenge that people have found. But that's a good thing, too, because in places like Oklahoma, where everyone and their grandmother can have a license to grow, there's just too many. And there's an oversupply, and it's too hard to get your brand out there because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of brands. So this limited license structure has had some good effects also. Um, but uh, I'd say that we have one of the best programs in the country. Our medical program has been incredibly strong. And our adult use program, which the Arizona Dispensaries Association put together, has brought in you know, over $100 million in tax revenue. We have 16% tax um, on adult use that goes directly to three different buckets that are good buckets. You know, um, uh, one of them is, is, uh, is, is emergency services, police and fire. You know, we've got health services and then we have some education on cannabis as well. So they go to good places. Um, and yeah, but I, but I, I can tell you something. I, I really am one of those people who was completely against states putting these ridiculous level of tax on these products. Uh, you know, they don't do that for anything else. You don't do it for aspirin. You don't do it for alcohol. You don't do it for, you know, anything else. But, you know, you slap in 16% on top of something for, again, something that whether they're going to call it adult use or not, I still believe that anybody who gravitates to cannabis is gravitating to it for a reason. And mm -hmm. they don't. they should not be penalized just because their choice is not you know, uh, uh, sclerosis of the liver. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, yes, no, absolutely. You're 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 exactly right. Um, um, on on the idea of that. However, in order to get it passed, we had to we had to throw in something. We had to sort of you know you have to kind of buy off certain groups. We had a lot of meetings with stakeholders, and that's what it took. For example, let me just mention one thing because you mentioned how how the prohibition was really kind of a race type of thing. Yes. And um, and one of the things that was really important to those of us writing this law is was getting people out of jail, getting their uh, you know the fines waived. Mm -hmm. Yeah, getting this stuff expunged, and and that's one thing that we just couldn't put in the bill. We pulled it, and it just it would have failed if we had tried to present that to the voters of Arizona. They just did not want people to get off the hook for any past cannabis use that they had done. And, our, and our, our position was, if it's legal now, why are there people in jail for it? Because they did it five years ago. That's not fair. Yeah, but you know, and it's also like right now what you're seeing across the country, we have states that have passed recreation and still because of an individual municipality that opted out, if you drive through that municipality, you can still be arrested and uh, you can still get stopped and arrested in the same state that has legal cannabis right now. There are as many people being arrested today as there were 10 years ago. And now we're up to 40, you know, 38 states in the District of Columbia. Come on now. Yep. I mean, it's ridiculous because it is this diehard need to hold on to draconian laws to ensure that if they want to put certain people in prison, they can. If they don't want to put certain people in prison, they won't. Yep. I mean? And eventually, I hope that we grow up as a society and recognize that there's just, you know, this is just wrong. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the middle of a transition right now. Yep. It, it's better, but it's not, it's not perfect. Um, there are states that, that allowed, allowed municipalities to opt out and others that have decided not to allow them to opt out. And, right. and you know, in some of those places where they allowed to opt out, I'm telling you, you can drive, you know, from one street corner across the street to the next street corner and get arrested. You can stand on one street corner and consume cannabis. You walk across the street and do it in another street corner. You're going to get arrested. Which is really ridiculous, you know. Especially the taxpayer dollars work on both street corners. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's, what's even worse is is that it has allowed the underground, um, the illegal market to proliferate. You know, California is a perfect example. Exactly. I mean, and, and not only, 
not only, not, only not just California, listen to me, back in 2022, I think, no, 2021, we sold over $25 billion worth of legal cannabis in America. And we estimate that another $70 billion of illegal cannabis was sold across the country. Yep. Uh, excuse me. This is really absolutely on the borderline of just yeah. ridiculousness. No and tax. Anybody right. can get into business. Yep. They don't have the barriers to entry that they do in the legal. And that's, that's why it's proliferating the way it is all the way across the country. All we've done is legalize to promote the, the illegal business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In, in fact, you talk to a lot of law enforcement folks and they and they they agree with the legalization part because it's regulated um, and, and they see that when it's you know, not regulated, that people are going to are going to buy it and sell it anyway. They're just going to do it from a guy, you know, at their house who they stop by. Yeah. Or, or, or they're going to like, I'm, you know, I, I happen to have products in the marketplace in both Massachusetts and I'm about to have products in the marketplace in Georgia. And in Georgia, they have legally sanctioned, licensed dispensaries. But right across the street, they got a bodega and the bodega across the street is puts a sign up, says I'm a dispensary. Yeah. And there's nothing to make that illegal. And these people are selling crap like THCH, THCO, you know, THC, uh, uh, yeah, T8O, and, and doing it in a way that is right in the face of the legal market, but nobody's doing anything about it because, again, these variants, you know, people can get away with selling because they have not been officially outlawed by the DEA yet, but they are going to be. And, you know, that puts a, a really nasty you know, face on the entire industry. Yeah. You are consulting now also with cannabis uh -huh. businesses in Arizona. Tell me what that's about. Oh, sure. And, and I'll just mention one last thing about what you were saying about having products out there is, I don't know if you've shined a light on the hemp products, but there are psychoactive hemp products because- Oh, that's, a, that's what I was just saying when I was a THC8, but people don't understand that the eight that they are getting from the hemp products are- products that have been basically manufactured using crap that's from underneath your sink. Yes, they've been converted. They, they use right. that word conversions. And, and those are horrible because they use all kinds of weird chemicals on, on very good cannabis. And they bring in these outside chemicals to convert the CBD into THC because CBD, you know, for $250 a, a kilo, you can convert that to uh, marijuana that's 10 times that, $2,500 a kilo. And and that what you're converting to, we don't know in any way, shape, or form whether or not, again, I'm not sure whether or not THC-8, which does exist in the marijuana plant, mm -hmm. but in very, 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 very small amounts. Yeah. We're not really sure what that does, the chemical version of it. It's just like a marinol thing. Yeah. And whether or not it's really actually impacting your endocannabinoid system in the same way as uh, legitimate cannabis does. And, and there are people who take the hemp plant and they and they can find that little tiny bit. And, and, and those are those are good because they get the real stuff. But almost all of them are taking CBD isolate and they're converting it into THC. And, and then that that's the bad stuff because that has all the weird chemicals in it. Correct. You, Absolutely. Have to be really careful. you don't want to go down to the gas station and buy your vape cartridges there because there's probably something that's been converted. But you say you don't want to do it, but unfortunately, that's the reason why they're being sold in the gas station because people are buying this trash. They don't know. They don't know that they're bad for them. Yeah, you, know? you helped pass the adult use legalization uh, bill in Arizona back in 2020. Why did it take more than two years after that for retail sales to commence? Well, uh, well, they had to set up the regulations, you know, and 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 such, and get the process set up. Uh, you know, the, the the Department of Health Services did what they could. Um, they interfaced a lot with with us, with the the dispensaries association, to figure out what the right rules are. Do we need to have testing? And we said yes, we do. We need to have a committee of people, you know, testing the stuff. Um, so we kind of went. It was a learning learning process. Yeah, it took. I guess it did take a year or two to. To before retail sales really began, but I thought Arizona was one of the fastest ones. You know, some of the other ones take even longer. Well, actually, um, looking at Maryland and other places like that, they've they've been just up down, up down, up down, up down, not getting to it. Um, it's tough when there's so many different stakeholders. Yeah, correct. and especially when you know states like Florida, where you know we got a guy who's running for president who literally um, so it was as under as shady under the table as he possibly could have been with administering and giving out some of the licenses, making sure that certain friends of his got licenses first 
in the state, not even looking at whether or not their capability of producing the product was as good as they thought it was. No um, kidding. Florida, I didn't realize that. Oh, hell yeah. Wow. Hell yeah. Florida's been involved right. in, in bullshit because of DeSantis now for the last six, seven years. And we'll stay that way as long as he's anywhere around. Huh. Yeah, I know people have had a lot of trouble in Florida. That must be it. The governor's not, not helping much. No, he's helping his buddies, his, his cronies. It's like the former governor and the former senator. They're helping yeah. their cronies, but they're not really, really interested in helping the industry as much as they are helping the cronies. And those yeah. same companies that give them back money to, for their campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what do you think is working? You said you think that Arizona's got a really good program, but what do you think is working the best and what needs to be improved? Um. Well, like I say, uh, what, what is working really well is our, our, our structure and our relationship with the, the regulator. Um, some of the things that haven't worked so well, our social equity program <laughs> didn't work. It was a big fracaso, as we say in Spanish. Um, we, that's, uh, that's been the same thing all over the country. I mean, we yeah. use social equity. Um, I don't know. I can't give a, an analogy, but it's it's just a bullshit term. Honestly. You know, and we were... I was part of the group who actually, you know, put this together with the dispensaries association with all of our best interests. And, and it still got messed up because, um, you know, some people in this industry, they're vultures because there's so much at stake. And so if you are an existing dispensary owner in Arizona and we just issued 14 new social equity licenses, that scares you. That means that's competition. 14 more stores are going to come and take your business from you. And so the, some of the dispensary owners who have a lot of political you know, influence, um, talked to the zoning boards and made sure that the zoning was such that only the original owners could put a dispensary in the city. Um, and all the social equity people were going to have to be relegated to that rural areas outside the municipal um, boundaries. And so the zoning area is one way that you could keep, keep them out. So social equity um, uh, stores, many of them are, are out in the middle of nowhere in the boondocks where there are very, very few customers. And that was all by design by the, the political machine. Absolutely. Absolutely. To maintain their control uh, for their cronies again. So now, again, what do you, what do you put on a crystal ball? What do you think is going to happen when it comes to the federal government in the next year or so? Yeah. So I, I think I think the writing's on the wall, too. It all depends on politics and who knows what's happening with politics. But the people of America are ready for this. And um, there are polls that say that there are more than 90 percent of the public believes that marijuana should be made uh, legal medically or for the first time we've crept over 70 percent of the people in the country think it should be made legal for adult use. So the constituency in the country believes in cannabis and they yep. believe in its value. They believe in the fact that, you know, uh, and, and what, the same thing that we've seen in almost every single state where there is a cannabis law, opioid abuse goes down. Um, yeah. Drug abuse in other categories goes down uh, rather than contrary to, to even the current president's belief that it's a gateway drug. We realize that it's not a gateway drug. Cannabis is more of an exit drug from mm -hmm. opioids and harder substances. So um, go ahead. I'm sorry. So you're right. Yeah, yeah, no, and uh, and what we found in Arizona, for example, was that the politicians were never going to legalize this. Um, our political situation is such that there's no way that was even conceivable. But the people of Arizona wanted it, and it pulled in the '60s, and so that was the way that we got it passed here, is by asking the people to vote directly. You can't do that in the national level. You don't have ballot propositions. That was the mechanism that we used um, to get this law passed. We have to somehow get the politicians to to pers be persuaded to do it. And I don't and, know. And right now, but I'm going to tell you something, right now with the people that we have in office who are so focused on their own individual greed, you know, we're up against the private, you know, prison lobby and several other organizations who would prefer to keep this on the books so that they have a way to continue to enslave people that are not black or Hispanic rather than yes. answer the will of the public. Yes, that is, that's a great point. In Arizona, we have a group called ALEC, A-L-E-C, and they put in um, in independent expenditures with the Koch brothers and others with, with millions of dollars to oppose things like this because 
Um, it's just finance. Finances, they make a lot of money by incarcerating people, so much money. We have these private prisons and they're making a ton of money. And, and by legalizing this, now all of a sudden they're going to they're gonna have an empty hotel and they're not they going to be But that they'll, still, that they'll still figure out a way to make sure that it sits on the shoulders of those who are the least of us rather than those who are the most of us. I mean, I, I just, I, I, you know, I'm hoping I, I would see a brighter day, but I think we're going to have to have some of these entrenched politicians go away. Uh, whether or not they, you know, um, retire or, mm-hmm. you know, and as you notice, you know, what politician retires these days? They all stay there until they drop. Uh, yeah. Because it's the biggest money-making boon in America today. You know, our political system went from being a place where, you know, we had people who were working people who wanted to go to work to do the will of the people. Now we have people, you know, I think, I, I think if you go back to mm, 1980 even, um, you'd see that we probably had less than 10 to 12 percent of the entire Congress Senate were worth a million dollars. Now, I think the numbers are somewhere high of 70 percent. Hmm, there must be a reason why you want to keep that job for a long time, right? Yeah, it's awful. 20 years ago is when I first ran for Congress, and it was a whole different place back then. Um, I wouldn't even want to be in Congress right now. Um, they don't seem to get anything done. The last two Congresses have gotten zero done. They don't seem to get anything done for the country or for the public, but they do get a lot done for themselves. Because oh yeah, they're very busy, very busy. You can be, you can openly just steal. I mean, it's like a license to steal from the American right. public. Yeah, I noticed there's that that guy who's finding out all the stock trades that members of Congress do, and he, he's sharing. Right. Because you know they're making huge returns, we might as well invest in the same things they are. Correct. Yeah, you got to look up. Yeah, try to follow whatever you you see your congressman or senator put money. That's where you need to put money in because you know it's going to make money. Yeah, but you know what though? There's hope for the people because in places like here in Arizona, we had you know the people put together this ballot proposition and the people voted for it, and now it's law, and they can't do anything about it. There you go for sure. Well, anything else you want to add, my friend? Uh, mainly I just wanted to, to share, I guess, my journey of healing and, and, and I, I love that, that you have, have the same, same philosophy where cannabis has helped you heal and, um, and, and you even wrote a book about it. And, and for me personally, I just feel like I wanted to share to other people who have MS or other diseases or things that are, are, you know, inhibiting their physical ability and stuff that they can use cannabis as a, as a tool, as a responsible tool to get better. And, uh, and it can just save save your emotions, save your body, save your life. And, um, and what I've been able to do is, is use it in heavily in order to get my body strong again and my mind strong again. And now I'm at a point where I don't even need it. I only use it when, when I want to, if I'm going to a yoga or if I'm going to go for a big, you know, workout or something, then I'll use it, um, and dose it properly. And, uh, what you could do is remember, the minor cannabinoids are as much of value to you as the THC. So therefore, instead of like saying, well, I'll use a little less THC, that's fine. But I ensure that every single day I put a CBD product in my body every day. Um, I don't Can I ask you what you'd recommend since you have MS also? Because I, I don't do that and I really am going to start doing that. Well, again, I, I created formulations of products myself out of the Massachusetts area. And I'm, I would love to get to Arizona if you can figure out somebody down there that might want to you know, uh, partner with me to bring my products there. I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, oh, yes, I do. Yes, sir. Yeah, but uh, but I I I have formulations of vape carts, and I also have those same formulations in tinctures and in gel caps that allow for a higher percentage of the minor cannabinoids to be mixed with THC, and in some cases. You know, I have as high as 75% minor cannabinoids, only 25% THC, and all those minor cannabinoids include CBG, CBD, CBC. Wow. Uh, I have specialized uh, terpene formulations. And so what people need to do, I mean, I, I would suggest to you is that seek uh-huh. out, you know, a dispensary near you that has a broader spectrum of available mm-hmm. minor cannabinoids. You know, there's no question that CBG, there's no question that CBC, there's no question that CBDA will be of benefit to you. So um, I would suggest trying to find, you know, and there are some dispensaries like in California, there's some dispensaries on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. 
where you can walk in the front door and and they can give you a a tincture or a you know gel cap that has no THC in it whatsoever. So yeah. as they you don't want to have THC, psh, make sure you put in you know some CBD A or some CBD in your body. You are going to be affecting your endocannabinoid system, which if you know for a fact and look it up yourself, the data is out there that your endocannabinoid system is what regulates your cellular homeostasis. So if all your cells in your body are are getting rid of all those free radicals and actually clean and operating at full efficiency, that'll help you operate at better efficiency. Oh, I want to I want to get your products. Let's get them over here so I can buy them at the dispensary. Mm-hmm. We don't have stuff like that. I, mean, I would love to have you over. I've got some I've got some really good products out right now uh, in the mass area. And again, hopefully we will have our products on the shelves within the next 60 days in uh, Georgia. So I'm really excited about that and excited about expanding across the country. Great. Oh, thank you for doing that. You know, honestly, I, I haven't found anything that that had that. And so I have to have a guy who I know who who is an extractor. Andy Hall, he makes this special tincture for me with with stuff in there. Um, but I had to go. Through- yeah, I, I, I could throw this out because I do talk about it quite often on my podcast. But I've been working with a, a company out of Southern California called Juice Tiva. They are from Southern California. So there's a company that's been around for about 40 years. There's, they've got over that that much expertise in manufacturing products. But this is a product that can be sold all over the United States. You can have it shipped to your house. It's CBDA. And I'm telling you, probably one of the best quality products that I've ever used myself. I use it every day um, and will continue to use it because, you know, you can kind of saturate your endocannabinoid system with that acid form, which is way more bioavailable. So keep it in your body. Keep CBD running through your body as much as you can, okay? And, and it doesn't make you, um, it's not psychoactive. Either, not right? psychoactive whatsoever. Zero One. psychoactivity. And, um, and then when you're looking around at some of your, your dispensaries in Arizona, see if you can find somebody, though, that has either a full, broad spectrum cannabinoid product. So it's got to have THC in it. It's got to have CBD in it. It's got to have CBG in it. got to have some CBC in it. All those minor cannabinoids are going to do you some good, and you won't see the same level of psychoactive ability or psychoactive activity. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll do that until you get your products in Arizona, and then I'm going right, to get sir. your products. Well, let's work on that together. Okay. Yes, sir. All right. Well, you, you stay well, Tim. Thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And thank you for tuning into this edition. Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.